We need to be doing that, a podcast that combines sports, social media content, and life. I'm Jonah Ballo. I'm Keith Steckler. I'm Elliot Gerard. We have experience in ad agencies and marketing, digital content across teams in the NBA, and creative for brands, teams, and athletes. Come on. We need to be doing that. All right, we're excited to welcome Emily Miller, Senior Digital Marketing Manager at the New York Racing Association. We are talking horses tonight. We're excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Any chance we get to talk about uh, horses, we absolutely take the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start uh, from the beginning, if we will. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in, outside of Saratoga, New York, so really close to and the racetrack. That makes sense that you're working in that uh, industry. <laughs> yeah, my joke is uh, HR couldn't really make me up. So <laughs> kind of a homebred. I like that. And was the track and racing part of growing up for you? Yeah, well, I think growing up outside of Saratoga Race Course, it, it, it really is the mecca of horse racing. It's so exciting. There's this atmosphere there that a lot of modern stadiums try to replicate. And it just has such a rich history, no matter who you are or how close you are to the track. It, it's part of your atmosphere. It's part of your day to day. So definitely grew up going to the track with family and friends and just enjoying the overall atmosphere. Now you've worked in your career at a few different, um, I guess, areas of sports. I will say you were with the Minnesota wild for a little bit, Both Jonah and I were in, uh, Minnesota as well for a little bit. So, um, Love that state, have an affinity for that state. Um, what led you to the current role there? What what excited you most about your current role, um, given your past experiences? Yeah, I think I learned a little bit from each one, as you do. Uh, I interned actually with the New York Racing Association through college uh, in their marketing and sponsorship departments. Then went to college in Minnesota. Was fortunate to get some roles out there working for the Wild in a sales and service capacity during the NHL lockout. So learned a lot about talking to fans and what their complaints are, what they really want to hear from you, what they really want to see from the team. And went on to a digital agency called Sports Digita, helping pro teams and leagues with their presence in the digital space. And had always kept in touch with the New York Racing Association a uh, marketing, traditional marketing manager job opened up there about six years ago, and thankfully there was a fit. So I've I've been with Naira um, just over six years now, started off doing really traditional marketing elements in venue, stadium, advertising, traditional paid media stuff. And over time, I really wanted to be more and more in the digital space, I thought, there's more opportunity. There was so much going on. Everything's always changing. Uh, strategies and tactics that work one year don't work the next year because the platforms are completely different, which was interesting to me. So uh, I kept raising my hand and over time uh, volunteered to lead the digital and traditional marketing groups. So now I oversee everything digital 
as in social media, website, email, applications, CRM strategy, surveys, and whatever else for the New York Racing Association, our betting arm, Naira Bets, and the Belmont Stakes. Now, I know the way you talk about yourself is really um, you make a lot of your decisions based on data. And I think the analytical side is what you're um, pretty forthcoming about online. Where did that start and what's been um, so interesting to you about that aspect of, of the job? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, the reason I was really interested in sports, in making a career out of sports in the first place, was really the psychology behind fandom. You know, it's completely optional to be a fan of a team, but people get tattoos of logos and spend tons of money supporting their favorite teams, right? They're so passionate about it. So I was really interested in that kind of ephemeral affinity and how to pin that down and and put numbers behind that. So whether it's a net promoter score or looking at engagement on social, trying to figure out how to make the intangible tangible and and ultimately connect that to ticket sales and revenue driving and betting dollars. Is so how how different are the fan bases? I mean, obviously, like uh, is hockey to to racing, especially with like the betting element, it must uh, you know the 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 way that you cater to them must be so different. Yeah, I should have said this at the top, but the, at the New York Racing Association, we manage three different tracks in New York State. So Aqueduct Racetrack uh, is actually by JFK. Saratoga Racecourse is upstate, and then Belmont Park is on Long Island, which is where the Belmont Stakes is. And each track has a completely different demographic. So from every standpoint, whether it's like household makeup, gender skew, age range. So each track, the fan is looking for something completely different. Uh, but that being said, it, fans really aren't looking for that much different than a traditional stick and ball sport in the sense that they want to know who the horses are, who the jockeys are. Tell me a story about where this owner came from, how this trainer got into the sport, like pull back that curtain and tell me some kind of behind the scenes story. Yeah. I feel like that must be interesting because they're actually doing that in terms of betting. Like they're, they're it's not just like you're getting the content because you, um, because you like the content, you know, you want to hear more behind the scenes. You want to hear more behind the scenes so you can bet. I mean, I guess Jonah bets on everything. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for throwing me under the bus. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I feel like that must be a different element to, to the way that you still tell stories. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's really a balance and a line that we walk every day because a more casual fan who maybe just loves horses or wants to spend a day at the track outside, you know, in an app, a nice atmosphere is looking for something completely different than a hardcore better. So we try to, to cater our content when we're posting online based on what's happening on track. So days when we race, we're posting like information that's actually happening on track, whether it's a really exciting finish, a long shot wins, maybe one of our analysts hits like this really awesome ticket and it pays a lot. We want to tell that story. Uh, 
Whereas like if it's a dark day, which is what we call the days when we're not racing, that's when we get into more stories about the people behind racing. So if it's a story about a jockey's first grade one win, which is one of our big races, or um, a story about a trainer's favorite race, that's when we really let those stories sing on the days when we're not racing. So we try to balance it all out. You know, I've been going up to Saratoga for about seven years now with my buddies, and I really was never um, into horse racing. I really haven't been around it. I'm from Colorado. Uh, didn't really have a understanding of the whole kind of um, community that is involved in that and what it's all about. And immediately, as you said, the idea of just going up there on a nice day at Saratoga upstate, if you haven't been anybody out there who's listening to this, it's, it's an amazing event, you know, and I think it's similar to baseball in that sense uh, where you can enjoy the outdoor festivities and, and kind of what's going on and people watching and horse watching and all the things that come with it. But from the in-game gambling aspect aspect to it, right? And as uh, Elliot mentioned, um, I might know a thing or two about gambling. Um, the idea that now sports is kind of jumping on this mainstream sports, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to see a seismic shift in the economy of it, the social media aspect of it, and, the, and how we treat and cater to fans who are going to be gambling in-game. I would imagine you and people in your industry are kind of on the forefront of that because you've been doing it and you know how to do it very well. Uh, what is your role been like then? And how do you see it from your point of view of kind of being the expert in this? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. We, you know, the normalization of sports betting and the formalizing of it can only benefit horse racing because We've been doing this for ages. We have an amazing online platform, a great app. We know how to do it in person, in venue, digitally. We've got the package. So we're just so excited that sports betting is happening because that industry is really in its infancy in America. Um, and the wider the reach of traditional sports betting and the more that those narratives and storylines and betting lines <laughs> are present in a traditional stick and ball environment, the more people are going to be interested in horse racing. We want to be aligned with those opportunities, even though the betting isn't exactly the same. We want to be present where sports betting is present. I think one of the most interesting things, at least for me, and I'm going to go on a, on a limb and, and say that people listening to this probably didn't know that either. So I'm going to have you repeat it is the connection that the tracks have to the casinos. I mean, naturally, once you hear that, you're like, oh, that's where the purses come from. But I didn't instinctually know that until talking with you. Yeah. So every track is a little bit different. Every setup's a bit different. Um, in New York, Part of our purse money does come from the casinos, uh, which is great for New York racing. Um, I would say one, there are a lot of things about horse racing that differentiate it from a casino or traditional sports betting. Um, for example, horse racing is paramutual wagering, which means that the odds that you see up on the board are going to change based on how people are betting. 
So when you see a big long shot win a race, that means that nobody really thought that horse was going to win. And so you're constantly betting against other people in the mix, which is part of the appeal too, right? Because you can say, hey, I saw that long shot as an option. I hit, you didn't. (laughs) And that's like part of the competition element amongst horse bettors. (laughs) The game within the game. Exactly. And what other aspects do you think, you know, North American sports are going to take from this? Um, You know, again, it's just, it's remarkable to me to see that it's taken this long for professional sports to kind of get over the barrier and some of the ideas and misconceptions we have about gambling and what it does. And, you know, it's just, it's silly, you know, fantasy sports have been around for, for years and that was okay to gamble on, but (laughs) you can't do it as, as far as betting on the line. But um, that idea of, you know, immediate sort of competition and access, is there any other developments that you kind of see coming down and, and especially with North American sports or specifically to horse racing and what maybe your team and, and people um, around the, the horse race racing organizations would change or adopt as they move forward? Yeah, it's kind of amazing to me. I remember attending an industry conference just a couple years ago before sports betting was legalized in America. And someone made a comment disparagingly about bringing the racetrack to the ball field. And I kind of, you know, it kind of gave me pause because I thought this is a revenue driver with a ready audience. Get in there, right? I mean, how many industries are already existing with an existing fan base and ready to be monetized? Um, So that was always really interesting to me. I think you're going to see teams across America adopt a, a really strong emphasis on engaging with their fans in a tangible way. So we hear this word gamification a lot, but what does that actually mean? You're going to see that actually play out in connecting a video element with a betting or quasi betting element. And really just bringing the whole at-home or digital experience together um, and not relying so much on in-stadium and venue because of where we're at in the world. Yeah, that's just real quickly. One of the things I wanted to emphasize on that because I've been thinking about this a lot. And I used to work in the NBA, um, the Minnesota Timberwolves and and the New York Knicks. And a lot of the discussions were happening at two totally different, right, fan situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Knicks, even despite losing for uh, quite a few years and not being successful in terms of reaching the playoffs and championships, still have a fan base, right? MSG gets filled. They sell season tickets. Celebrities are going there. Minnesota Timberwolves struggle mightily, right, to get fans in. And they have to build a real hardcore community, as you know, being in Minnesota. If you can mm-hmm. get it and they jump on, then it's awesome. If not, it can be a little bit empty. And yeah. the point I'm trying to make here is the idea that we had a lot of discussions within those organizations about the fear of losing fans in arena. And what does the in arena experience look like 10, 15, 20 years from now? And how scared a lot of these organizations are and leagues about what do we do when you're at home and you're watching on your, you know, 55 inch TV that's much cheaper than it used to be, having friends over, gambling, having all this fun. And it's kind of better than the in arena experience. And I think to me that the step to that 
is that gambling thing. If you can walk from first quarter to second quarter, first half, second half, walk up, get a beer, get a hot dog, place a wager and come back, watch it live. It changes the whole experience in my opinion. But I think that to me is like this huge next step, which you do see in horse racing Mm-hmm. And it creates this, I mean, what, seven hours, eight hours, you can be at the track all day doing this, all taking day. breaks, joining it. Yeah, it, it becomes a, an amazing experience. And again, somebody from the outside of the horse racing aspect of it, I saw that live and I'm like, this is what the future is for sports in North America. And we've seen it with, right, with soccer globally, that's similar um, to, to kind of the experience there. And then just another personal experience that I've had is um, I went to Thailand and watched a Muay Thai fight live and yeah this is at the this is at one of the most iconic uh fight arenas ever i mean we're talking about like the roman coliseum and this (laughs) this is where it starts and there was this whole section of of um fans who are who live there who live in thailand it's not you know americans traveling over and they're got their bet slips waving and each bet is gambled on and it creates such a crazy chaotic fun environment that I, I just I, I feel like it's amazing that these things have been going on for decades and centuries, and yet North American sports haven't adopted it yet. But this is where it will go. So there's my rant on that. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, I think one of the things that you'll see if you come to a racetrack, whether it's Saratoga, Belmont, Aqueduct, or any other one, is so many different people doing different things at the track. You'll see someone sitting and betting by themselves in the way in which they've bet, you know, every year, every day, whatever their very regimented style is. You'll see groups out for bachelor or bachelorette parties. You'll see people interacting with the product in very different ways. And I think what you're going to see in traditional stick and ball sports across America now is just the extension of that, where you know your different fan segments and you're going to cater to them in respective ways for in-venue, out-of-venue, gambling, gamification. You know, we're going to think about these segments in very new, more nuanced and layered ways than we have in the past. Now, how has, um, how has COVID made you think differently about the job, the role Um, the work that you do day in and day out? Yeah, I think uh, similarly to a lot of people, right, COVID accelerated a lot of what we were already doing, especially on the digital side where I am. Um, And it, it also really emphasized connections between our various products. So, um, we're on television pretty much nonstop. Um, we're on television year round. We race year round. Um, we have a betting product where you can bet in the States and internationally. So really normally we're trying to get you to the track and betting on our product, or if you can't come to the track, you'll watch on TV and bet on our product. That's our ideal kind of ecosystem. So obviously ticket sales were removed from that. Um, And we had to really lean on our television product to promote wagering, promote our community efforts, promote everything we were doing um, and continue to drive revenue without us being there. So in promoting all of that, it, it was really difficult because obviously we couldn't 
be at the track in the same numbers we could previously. So um, I've always been a fan of repurposing existing content, like taking a long form piece and cutting it up for different channels into smaller pieces that are better suited for each channel. Um, I really kind of ate my own words on that and had to really lean into that, right? So we we were really kind of scrappy and resourceful. We used old photo shoots and old video elements and spruce them up, lots of different layering and and different presentation to keep our fans engaged um, while also trying to keep the wagering and TV tune in top of mind. You know, we're starting to see fans kind of trickle back into the arenas, right? We saw Super Bowl, um, mm-hmm. you know, the cardboard cutouts and the fans. <laughs> and uh, I believe Madison Square Garden said they're going to allow 2,000 fans back into that arena, which is a good thing. I hope everybody's safe. I hope it, it does work out. Um, in terms of your plans and sort of the horse racing, and this might be a selfish question for me and my friends to find out if we can be, be back at Saratoga this summer, but, but have you guys had discussions on that and, and what's your thoughts on fans getting back in? Yeah, we, um, are hopeful to have fans back as soon as it's safe. Uh, you know, as everyone else is, we're working very closely with the state and governor's office to make sure that we're doing everything appropriately. Um, really looking around at other folks in New York State in particular and seeing how they're admitting the first rounds of fans. It's it's kind of nice when you don't have to go first. Um, but we'll definitely have a plan in place for as many fans as can be allowed safely as soon as we can. Now, to close, who is your favorite horse of all time? And I'm not talking from a performance perspective. I'm simply <laughs> talking from a name perspective. Great question. Who oh, is a it? name perspective. Who's, who's got the coolest, wackiest name that's just stuck with you to this day? Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, I have uh, too many answers to that, so I'll give you two answers. So as a marketer, I love when horses are named after celebrities because – there's a chance the celebrity will come out. Um, so a couple years ago, a horse named Gronkowski ran in the Belmont Stakes, and he actually owned a piece of the horse. And like the the photo shoot with Gronk and the jockeys was just one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Just the size difference in people, and they were all just so happy. It was amazing. Um, Clearly, you hold them like a baby. <laughs> it, it was just crazy. We were like, just stand there. This is perfect, you know. Um, and then my other answer, so horses have to get their names approved by the jockey club. So the idea behind that is there wouldn't be two horses with the same name. Um, and somehow there were two horses named Slim Shady, but one was spelled like a letter different. And they ended up racing each other. Oh, my. <laughs> and it, it was so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you just couldn't make it up. So the poor announcer was like, they're Slim Shady and they're Slim Shady. You know. It's like the Eminem video where he, you know, with a real uh, Slim Shady. It's an announcer's worst nightmare. Yeah, it was, it was a little, like, somebody planned it, but I'm not sure who kind of thing. <laughs> uh, 
and I got another one. Have you, what's the wildest bet maybe that you've seen? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I love anytime anyone can turn a 50 cent bet into half a million. Those are like, I'm ready to tell that story. But personally, I bet a late pick four at Aqueduct one time that paid, it was $45 and it paid 500 and that is my personal best bet. Nice. It's a good Thank hit. <laughs> so where can people find you, connect with you on social, learn more about what you have going on? Yeah. Um, you can follow our various work, you know, our industry handles. It's at the Naira Belmont Stakes and Naira Bets. And then I personally am a consolidation of my name it's mrh mill e-m-r-a-c-h-m-i-l-l it's tough when your name's emily miller <laughs> i bet those are all taken up huh i can imagine yeah. <laughs> you didn't want emily emily miller 1027 or anything like that yeah it, the numbers got to be too much <laughs> That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to the We Need to Be Doing That podcast. Visit we need to be doing that.com for more episodes and contact information.